Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading Acts chapter 3 from the World English Bible. Peter and John were going up into the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. A certain man who was lame from his mother's womb was being carried, whom they laid daily at the door of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask gifts for the needy of those who entered into the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive gifts for the needy. Peter, fastening his eyes on him with John, said, Look at us. He listened to them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have, that I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. He took him by the right hand and raised him up. Immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. Leaping up, he stood and began to walk. He entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God. They recognized him, that it was he who used to sit begging for gifts for the needy at the beautiful gate of the temple. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. As the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. When Peter saw it, he responded to the people, You men of Israel, why do you marvel at this man? Why do you fasten your eyes on us as though by our own power or godliness we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he had determined to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, to which we are witnesses. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which is through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Now, brothers, I know that you did this in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but the things which God announced by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, so that there may come times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Christ Jesus, who was ordained for you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God spoke long ago by the mouth of his holy prophets. For Moses indeed said to the fathers, The Lord God will raise up a prophet for you from among your brothers, like me. You shall listen to him in all things, whatever he says to you. It will be that every soul that will not listen to that prophet will be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who followed after, as many as have spoken, 
they also told of these days. You are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, All the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to you first to bless you in turning away every one of you from your wickedness. That is the end of chapter 3. The way things are presented here, it does not look at all like Peter and John were planning this particular encounter. They are going to the temple, as is mentioned in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, that all new believers were going there daily, and on this occasion, about three in the afternoon. This seems to be a case where the section in the previous chapter at the end of Acts chapter 2 is a summary of what was happening with all the new believers. And then here in chapter 3, you have some specific details given of the signs and wonders that were done. Verse 2 begins with describing a certain man. This is a phrase also used in Acts 14.8 and is a description used throughout the Bible to indicate the reference to a specific individual. Sometimes the individual is named and sometimes not. Here, the description centers on the fact that this man has always been lame since birth and everyone knew he couldn't walk. There was no doubt about his physical state. It wasn't that he was taking a long time to heal from some injury or he was faking it or being lazy. He could not walk. This doesn't make other healings of less desperate cases invalid, but it makes the healing here very clear. If it weren't for the miracle, this man would have remained lame. There's another thing about this man that is interesting and gives you an inkling of the idea that he will have faith. It is mentioned three times that he is asking alms for the needy. He is not just asking for himself. So in verse 3, what you have is the lame man asking for alms from Peter and John. They were apparently going to walk right by him, as everyone had done for years, some giving alms and some not. And maybe even Peter and John had previously gone by him because he was laid there daily and believers were going there daily. But he, the lame man, spoke up and then Peter and John looked at him very intently. Now, this may be the first post-resurrection of Jesus miracle that we are told the apostles did, but we know from Luke 9.1 and Luke 10.17 that the apostles had done miracles before. Specifically, in Luke 9.1, they were given power over disease and demons, making a clear distinction between them. And in Luke 10.17, it was the 70 disciples who were sent out and were doing some sort of miracles, and they particularly mentioned power over demons. But again, here, Peter and John don't seem to be looking for an opportunity to do a miracle until the lame man talks to them. Then, not only do they clearly focus on him, they ask him to look straight at them. He has to do that first before he will be healed. It is not unlike the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, where Jesus begins the exchange by asking for a drink, someone a Jew wouldn't normally talk to. Here, also, Peter and John first get the man's attention more focused on them, even though he is still expecting money, he's no longer just looking at what falls in his collection tin or plate or whatever it was. The fact that the lame man sat there daily asking for money implies people going in usually had money. 
Recall Jesus did drive out the money changers, as it tells in both Matthew 21.12 and Mark 11.15. So there was buying and selling going on there, and apparently they had got right back to it even after he cleared them out. But I wonder if that particular incident is something that Peter and John took very closely to heart so that they didn't even take any money into the temple. It was supposed to be a house of prayer, a place to commune together with God. So Peter and John didn't have any silver or gold, but they had something better. In verse 6, Peter says, get up and walk. Yes, he offers and takes the man by his hand, apparently to encourage him, but the man has to get up. Just Peter offering his hand is not enough strength to help a man stand who has no strength in his legs. If you have ever tried to help someone get up or walk who is even weak, you know this is true. The fact is, the lame man had to have faith in what Peter said to even take hold of his hand, but the taking hold of his hand was not the power that healed him, as Peter will go on to explain, but also notice that the man gets up like immediately leaping. There does not appear to be any hesitancy. Notice right from the outset, Peter declares this is all in the name of, by the power and authority of Jesus' name, so the lame man's faith is based on that statement. Now, can you imagine the exhilaration of being able to walk for the first time in your life? And he was so strong that he could leap over and over. I can picture his enthusiastic bouncing all around. And you know his faith was in the right thing because he praised God. Still, he held on to Peter and John, which is completely understandable. They have represented Jesus Christ to him. They have been the conduit. Then verse 12 gives more indication that this whole flow of events was unpremeditated by Peter and John, because it says, when Peter saw it, meaning that the interest of everyone in the miracle. He spoke up again, making sure they heard the gospel. So he points out that Jesus is irrevocably representing the God they claim to worship. They are, after all, in the temple based on the books of Moses. He charges them with denying Jesus Christ, their Messiah, the servant. Apparently, the word here that is translated servant in many of the translations can also be translated son, depending on the context. It is particularly uh, similar to Isaiah 42.1, 49.6, and 52.13, and famously 53.11. So these people should have clearly understood the connection, and it is also referenced in Matthew 12.18. Then Peter tells them they have the opportunity to repent and to both have their sins blotted out and to have refreshing. And here he calls them brothers, and this is an example of not using Christian meanings on words everywhere they are used in the Bible. Here he means fellow Jews, those who are also physically descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Peter states that all of this was foretold very clearly by the prophets and very clearly by Moses, whom they claim to revere. He refers to Deuteronomy chapter 18, particularly verses 15 through 19, and he also refers to Samuel and the rest of the prophets. He speaks of Jesus Christ being in heaven until it is time to restore all things. So he has increased in understanding himself since Acts 1, 6 through 8. And he's pointing them to the scriptures. They can check these things out. He 
shows them that they have a heritage of being children of the prophets and of the covenant, meaning they are descended from those who initially obtained the promises and they were the keepers of it. And in honor of this, they have been the first ones to hear about the promise being fulfilled, to be invited to receive the promised seed, the servant, the prophet. Now, even though they are all children of the covenant, those who inherited and passed it on, all of the families of the earth will be blessed, as he references the promise to Abraham in Genesis 22.18. He explains that while they are all completely accountable, culpable for the murder of Jesus Christ, something God knew beforehand they would do, and they are accountable for it, even though they were ignorant of exactly who he was. It doesn't say they were ignorant of murdering him. They knew they were condemning unjustly, but they were ignorant of who he was. But God has already planned, had already planned, to use their evil choices for their own good by having the death of the perfect Son of God be the atonement for sin, the bronze serpent on the pole, as Jesus compares himself to in John chapter 3, that anyone can choose to look at to be saved from eternal death. And not only that, but God raised him from the dead. Their wicked actions were no match for God's love and power. They just need to repent. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 